So throughout the season of Lent, we've been in Mark's Gospel, chapters 10 through 16, and we've been looking at the fear and amazement that accompany Jesus whenever he does things or teaches things. Uh, Mark often tells us that those who are the recipients of those works or the, the hearers of those words are afraid and amazed. And today we deal with the resurrection story in, in Mark's gospel, and we have more fear and more amazement, interestingly enough, that those are the primary reactions uh, to Jesus' resurrection as Mark tells the story. Just a little word about Mark's ending to his gospel. We'll read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 16 in the oldest manuscripts, suggests that this is where Mark ended his gospel. But the reality is, is that later generations had a hard time dealing with Mark's ending and added some extra things because they wanted the story resolved, whereas Mark left it open. Mark ends with a declaration of fear and the women running away. Other gospel writers tell us more about engagement with the resurrected Jesus but Mark initially, when he published, <laughs> sent out his gospel, apparently did not do that, but ended leaving things kind of up in the air. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. And what Mark does is like he does with so many other passages in his gospel, is that he opens us up to a number of questions as uh, he tells his version of the story of Jesus. And so let's look at... Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They'd been saying to one another, who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance to the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He's not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So they went out, and they fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, move us into and out of that amazement and fear. Into that questioning place of wondering where you are and how we can relate to you. That fearful place of being uncertain about where you are and whether or not you want to relate. And into that place where we are assured that you do and that you are relating to us. Help us to live into resurrection this day, Lord, we pray in your name. Amen. 
getting a little bit personal here at the beginning, but 36 years of marriage have taught me one very important truth. 36 years of marriage to Marianne have taught me that our closest relationships do not simply provide us space in which to be safe. They're also the context where we are challenged and called on to take our greatest risks. Let me say that again. Our closest relationships are not just places where we are safe. They are also the place where we are called on to take some of life's greatest risks. There's safety and comfort in our closest relationships because we grow into knowing who the other is. It just happens because of proximity, because of frequency. We grow into the knowledge of another. But that process, you see, never stops. And as well as we know the other, the other will inevitably do or say something that confounds us. And when that happens, we enter into a risky space. Suddenly our expectations, our projections, our sense of knowing exactly who the other is and how the other will respond, suddenly that's all called into question and we find ourselves wondering at that point, and this is the scary part, we find ourselves wondering at that point whether we know the other at all. And growing to know, to truly know another, is basically an unending process. And what it is, is a job that is filled with both certainties and surprises. An interplay between those two things, certainty and surprise. The Franciscan preacher Richard Rohr says, no relation, uh, but uh, some people call him my cousin, but uh, I don't know that that's true. But as Richard Rohr says, if ever you come to the point where you think you know the other completely, the relationship is over. And it's over because mystery is the fuel for that unending process of growing into a deeper and deeper intimacy with the other. In other words, the other is always more than we think they are. And the work of unpacking the gift the other is, is an unending process because there is always more to discover. And as we look at Mark's telling of the story of Jesus' relationship with his disciples, we keep seeing this interplay between certainties and surprises, between well-founded expectations and absolutely confounding violations of those expectations. And here at the end, Jesus once again confounds his disciples. The encounter with him is not at all what these three women who go to the tomb expect when they arrive there. What the women expect when they 
go to the tomb is they expect to encounter a corpse. They expect to encounter a body. They expect to fulfill their role of anointing that body. The role that was delayed by the Sabbath because that kind of work couldn't be done on the Sabbath. But what the women encounter is something completely different than that. What they encounter is nothing. What they encounter is, is emptiness. They do encounter a messenger, that strange young man in a white robe, who tells them something and says, first of all, the obvious. He isn't here. And then also proclaims what they have a hard time imagining. He isn't here because, you see, he's been raised. And what do they do in response? They run away. They run away and they say nothing to anyone. Their response is one of dumbfounded fear. Lots of unstated questions are all crashing in at once at this point. What's going on? Is he dead or alive? And if he's dead, who took his body? If he's alive, then where is he? It's too much to process. And so they run away. But not before they're given direction by this messenger that they cannot initially take in. And let me just read that again for us. Verse 7 where the messenger says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Go and tell his disciples and Peter, lot in that statement, and they choose not to do that. Go and tell them, though, that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And he'll meet you there, and you'll see him there just as he told you. One of the commentators I read on, on this passage says that this instruction to go back to Galilee is essentially an instruction to all of us. Instruction especially to us who are reading Mark's gospel. Go back to the beginning of the story. Go back to where the story starts. Go back and read it again. Go back and experience this Jesus as he presents himself in this writing. Go back and encounter him again. Read it again. Look for him. Look deeper. And you'll see him just as he told you you would. It's really good advice, and not just for them, but also for us, because resurrection, if we're to be honest with ourselves, is something that we all have to grow into. It's not something we immediately apprehend. It's not something we immediately accept. And so when we re return to Galilee, when we read the story again, when we gather here to celebrate yet another Easter, when we gather here every Sunday morning to celebrate resurrection, we give ourselves space to consider this truth and what difference it makes in how we're going to live our lives. 
Resurrection is, as Wendell Berry says, something that we practice, something that we work on. It's the work of looking for the beginnings that grow out of the endings. And certainly life presents us with those constantly, looking for the beginnings that grow out of the endings. It's the work of expecting Jesus to keep showing us how and where he's alive and calling us to enter into these expressions of new life. It's the work of discovering how he is before all things, as Paul says, and that in him all things hold together. It's the work, first and foremost, of simply returning to Galilee in order to keep drawing near to the one who has made space for us in his heart. And I don't think we ever finish this work. We never completely arrive, but we're always in a state of arriving. For God just keeps showing us that there's more to discover and we will have the eternal joy of unpacking that ever-expanding height and breadth and depth and length of the eternal love of God. Let's pray. Gracious God, keep inviting us on the journey. Keep issuing that invitation to return to Galilee. Keep turning our endings into beginnings. And as we experience the grief and the joy of that process, help us to know how you are with us. As we look at a world torn by war and how the limits of human perspective lead us to pursue ends that destroy rather than bring life, we pray that you would invite us to keep returning to Galilee to keep hearing your voice to follow, to keep allowing you to show us what it means to love you and to love neighbor, to keep reflecting that love that you have lavished on us to our world in such a way that we can practice resurrection and live into the truth that you are before all things and that in you all things hold together. Lord, keep us in your care and so lift us into your presence, even here, even now. For we pray in your name as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.